If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, dark urban fantasy author, Holly Lyne. Hello and welcome to episode number 76 of the Great Writers Share podcast, where every week we hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join us on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, roar and bounce. My name's Holly Line and it's the 22nd of February as of recording. So let's get into my personal update. I'm just coming back from a week-long break from business and writing. My other half also took the week off work and we spent the whole time just playing games, watching films, reading and just chilling out together with the kids. It was a much-needed rest. It gave me a bit of breathing room as well to work through some big life stuff. I haven't finished percolating those ideas yet, but I feel as though I have a better idea of what I want and need my life to look like. It's often difficult in this society to get that headspace. We have so many demands on our time and attention that we can end up just getting swept along by the current. I highly recommend finding ways to stop and get out of the river from time to time to see if it's still flowing in the right direction for you. I've been really fortunate to have people around me who I can talk to about this stuff and I was surprised and pleased to find out that another writer friend was experiencing some of the same feelings as me, so we had a nice little chat about that and connected more deeply than we had before. So I also want to encourage you to reach out to others and talk if you're struggling with something. It really can make the world of difference. Today I'm talking to Mark Watson, a hybrid author from Canada. We had a fantastic discussion about his experiences of searching for a publisher and getting signed with small presses. We got into why he then chose to go indie for his latest release and had a healthy debate on the subject of setting writing goals, which you may or may not realise is a hot topic for me. It was so refreshing to talk to someone with a different view and for it to remain friendly. It can sometimes feel impossible these days to just agree to disagree, but on this occasion it was just a really healthy conversation that went both ways. So now, without any further ado, let's dive into the interview with the one and only Mark Watson. Mark Watson is an author of genre fiction of all lengths and styles. His works include the novels Death Dresses Poorly, Catching Hell Journey and Catching Hell Destination, as well as having short stories in the collections Enigma Front 5, The Stories We Hide, and A Land Without Mirrors. His newest release, a collection of science fantasy short stories, Between Conversations, Tales from the World of Ryujin, is available now. He began writing at the age of 15 and continues to be part-time writing student at Athabasca, is that right, University? You got it, you got it. <laughs> he has been published on flash fiction site 101words.org as well as comedy site thecorrectness.com. Mark lives in Calgary, Alberta. He is a husband and proud father of two. He's an avid outdoorsman, martial artist, baseball player, and lover of all Mexican foods. He can be found online at markwaxon.ca as well as on Facebook, and I will share those links. <laughs> so, hi, Mark. Welcome to The Great Writer's Share. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Could you start us off by telling us a bit about your writing journey so far? I would love to. I would love to. Well, as the bio that you just read said I started writing when I was about 15 and that was with pen and paper and I kind of got obsessed with finishing this story that I had started and it kind of turned into a trilogy all written by hand and 
by the time I was done, I was I I had this admittedly badly written trilogy, but I was I was very proud that I had done it, and I was just like, yeah, writing's going to be the thing. And then life happened, and it kind of got put in the back burner for a little while. So we kind of have to fast forward a few decades to February of 2016. It was the leap day, February 29th, I'll always remember. <laughs> At that point, I had written another trilogy, far more professionally done this time, though still kind of sketchy around the edges. And <laughs> I wanted to do something with that. It, it, it all took place in this the same world and the Ryujin world, as you said. And I decided to actually make a go of it. I decided to put myself out there in the world as a writer, mm -hmm. a part-time writer, a casual writer, a uh, um, an anti-author, as I like to call myself. But <laughs> in the end, I still wanted to treat it with respect and and get better at my craft. And ever since then, I have been as whole hog as a father of two, husband and full-time employee someplace not writing related could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are right now. Mm. It's a lot to manage, isn't it? <laughs> the job and the family and the writing. It, it is. And it, I think it takes a special kind a certain mentality to do it i i need to stay busy i need to constantly be doing something and it's it's a case of i don't write very much but when i do uh, i i focus on it as much as i possibly can but it's usually only about 45 minutes a day if i get a chance to do it at all and it's almost always at work i'm someone who loves writing at work and i can't really do it at home because i get home and i have kids to run off to some place or other. I'm an active coach for whatever sport it is that they're doing. At least I try to be. And by the time they go to bed and I get my little bit of cool down time, my brain is mush and I cannot write at home. And that's the time that I get to spend with my wife because she's usually working a little bit later than I am. And that's, that, that's the quiet time that we spend together, even if we say nothing and we just sit there staring at the TV. <laughs> so so yeah, it, it it is a challenge, but it, it kind of gets cut up and well managed as best I possibly can because I, mm -hmm. I really want to make sure that the time that I spend with my kids and with my wife is not sacrificed. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, so you have worked with a publisher um before, and how was it ever a, like um a hard decision to whether to go with a publisher or go India was it quite straightforward for me personally it was straightforward at first and by that I mean once I started really diving into this world back in 2016 and talking to people and going to conferences and, and looking at all the different paths that people had taken I was more certain than ever that I needed to have a publisher mostly because I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> and I needed somebody to help guide me through I had never really looked deeply into the writing world before beyond just what the general public knows. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if I was having a, a publisher in my corner, even if that means that they get, they get their cut and, and I know that some of them can be a little bit more bullish when it comes to what what an author puts out and they have their say, if I found the right ones, and I, I like to believe I have, they're going to help support me and we can go in it as a partnership. And that's exactly the way it's been. And so I had my first three books through a publisher, two different publishers. And my latest book, Tales from the World of Reusion, is my first self-published book because it's a short story collection based in this world of Ryujin and there's not I, I didn't feel that there was a whole lot of demand from any publisher for this kind of collection mm -hmm. especially one that's related to a world from two books that had already been published by somebody else and I just figured it was a good opportunity for me to kind of learn the ropes on this so that way I could at least have conversations like this where I can be like yeah I've kind of gone both ways and so yeah, it, it, I was at a better place once I understood the world, but I had to be in it for a few years before I really wanted to have that undertaking of a of a self-publish. Yeah, sure. So was it a fairly straight road to 
find a publisher or multiple publishers or have there been ups and downs? It depends on the book. It really does. I kind of hit it weird. It was very strange timing because my original science fantasy duology, Catching Hell, it was picked up by a publisher and I went through the usual kind of letters and rejections and letters and rejections and and the story that you hear from just about every author who's who's been published and I like to think that I kind of honed the craft of who it was I was going to submit to and who I was querying to at that time. Mm -hmm. And it was picked up eventually. And then two weeks later, that publisher sent me a letter saying, oh, sorry, we're going under. So then Mm -hmm. I'm I'm back out in the world. But I'm like, okay, well, obviously there's an audience for it somewhere. Somebody wanted to pick it up, so I'm going to try again. Mm -hmm. So it was picked up. Now, in the time that I had written Catching Hell, and that was about five years of my life on and off, to kind of clean my mind from that and, and, and start fresh, I had written Death Dresses Poorly. And with Death Dresses Poorly, it was a much different path because I knew that it was a very niche story. It's nowhere near as long. It's not some big epic science fiction, science fantasy. It is a urban fantasy dark comedy and a, a good weekend read like just something you can pick up on a friday and be and be done by afternoon on sunday <laughs> and i started really focusing on the publishers that i would want to work with who had smaller bodies of work mm-hmm. and i submitted to one they got back to me very quickly and they said this is great but we're not super interested in it right now And then I submitted to the second one and I had a contract in my hands in a week. So with one book, I had that long and drawn out stereotypical process. And then with the next one, I hit it out of the park with my second swing. And Mm -hmm. I know that that's not typical, but I like to think that the way that I approached it really helped limit the amount of rejection that I had to go through with that. Mm. So what in particular did you do to end up with that result? In finding a publisher with Catching Hell, I realized that I was having a lot more success and I was getting a lot more feedback from local publishers or smaller market publishers. And I wasn't silly enough to think that I could go to one of the great big publishers, just knock on their door and say, hey, here's your next bestseller. Obviously, I I, I was a little bit more humble about it than that. But I learned a lot about who I was working with when I was started talking to a publisher. A lot of them, um, I, I would say almost half of them, if not even two thirds of them, don't even reply. You get nothing back from them. They, they might have an automated, thanks for your submission email, and then that's the last you're ever going to hear of them. And I wasn't really prepared for that. So I really liked the ones who would send something back. It's like, not what we're looking for, or... Um, well, maybe we might find a window sometime later. Some some of these things might need to change. Like they're very kind of wishy-washy about it. But the ones that were very clear, very distinct, were almost always, uh, I'm in, located in Canada and in Calgary, Alberta. And so one's here in Calgary or one's in Alberta or even one's in Canada. Like it was a lot easier and to go local and then kind of spread. And then uh, that first one that I said that picked me up and then, two weeks later dropped me. They were located an hour away from where I live. And it ended up going with the publisher who's out in Toronto, who's on the other side of the country, but I am originally from Toronto. So it's a part of the country I know well. Mm -hmm. And they were far more engaging. And they were were great at writing back to me and, and communicating what it was they were looking for in their windows of publication. So when I took that information and that helped me kind of narrow down a, with with that dresses poorly, I knew that I had this niche kind of story. So I found those niche kind of publishers, somebody who only had maybe two or three books to their banner and the books were very similar. I, I think that was a big thing was finding ones that were that shared the same vibe that were kind of coming from the same world. And I got on board with fluky fiction who's the publisher of that. And it's a relationship that still goes strong to this day, mm-hmm. who I love working with. And uh, I, I can even say 
uh, when Catching Hell last year was actually taken off by the original publisher because they sold their imprint to somebody else. And I didn't really want to get on board with this new imprint. It wasn't quite what I wanted for that book. Fluky Fiction came in and was like, well, we like your writing and we work well together. Let's do this again. So that will be back. It's off of sale right now, but it will be back very shortly. I'm working with them to kind of get it remastered and get their spin on it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's it's been a great relationship. Mm. I I was going to say you've been very lucky, but actually, I don't think it's luck. I think you've been very smart. <laughs> I, I, I thank you. I, I, it's a it's a little bit of both. I'll I'll mm. I'll concede it's a bit of smartness on my end, but it's also I think it's also a lot of realism yeah. to 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 the process. I did not come at this as some fresh faced university student or right out of high school or something like that. I came at this as a grown man who had seen some of the world, at least. I was a young grown man, but I was still a grown man. And I was far more realistic. I think naturally I'm a very realistic person. I set realistic goals. I have realistic dreams. And I think that that went a long way towards tempering my expectations and helping me find the right match at the right time. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you touched on why you decided to go indie with the latest book. Uh, is there more to that or how have you found the experience of going indie? Originally when I started, and as I said, I wanted a publisher because I was so overwhelmed by this world. Mm. I, I, I simply didn't know it well enough. And so I wanted to do it right. I have a I have a lot of friends in the industry who are strictly independent and I respect what they do and how they do it and they've got far more hustle than I do and and bless them for it. I had this story that I wanted to submit to a compilation that somebody was putting out and it wasn't picked up and it took place in this Ryujin world the same as Catching Hell and I thought that the concept of that story was very interesting because you you get swept up in these gigantic epics. You can get swept up in the Lord of the Rings or you can get swept up in Star Wars or something along those lines and you're focused on the hero. But what about that person who works in the cafeteria? Or what about the 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 farmer whose land gets taken over because there's a war being fought on it. What happens is like these little side characters in, in the periphery. And I wanted to create a whole story or a whole series of stories with that, which is what between conversations became. And I was, as I was going through it and I was writing it and I was talking to my friends in the industry, I realized that independently and, and, and doing self-publication was probably the best route that I could go with that because I wasn't hanging my meal ticket on it. I wasn't waiting for it to sell a million copies and I needed it to do that. This was a passion project. And I figured with a passion project versus an actual full-blown release, it was far more suited to having my learning curve grow with it. And I think it was because it was so niche and it was so strange the way that I've structured it. It's a series of nine stories that run over a course of thousands of years and they run chronologically. So you have one that Mm -hmm. takes place in 1600s England and moving all the way into thousands of years into the future Mm -hmm. and focusing on all these little kind of side characters and little side stories. And I just thought that it was the kind of project that probably should stay as close to home as it possibly can, which is why I wanted to do it independently. Mm. And how has that learning curve been? <laughs> Not as intimidating as I feared it would be, honestly, yeah. uh, which is kind of the, the, the overlying theme of, of my writing career. Is it hasn't been as intimidating as I thought it would be. Maybe it's just my expectations are tempered, but it, it, it it came together. I, I worked with Fluky Fiction again on the editing side of things. So I, I was working with the team that I, I knew and I respected. Mm-hmm. And they have also helped me out with information here and there and, and helped push me in the right direction. And it's been enjoyable. And it was great to release a book and to be able to hold it in my hands or or put it on my Kindle and say, 
this is all me. This is a hundred percent me. Like I, like I, I source the cover. I write the blurb. I learned how to put it on Amazon in the first place other than the editing, which I'm terrible at. And I've got somebody for that. So uh, no complaints whatsoever. Yeah. So what inspired this anthology? Cause like you said, it is such a unique idea and I love the idea. It's, I, I think it's brilliant, but was there some of the inspiration behind it? The main inspiration was that when I was inspired by that one story that I wanted to get out and it wasn't picked up, I wanted to write in different genres and it was a different genre. It, it was kind of a science fiction militaristic story, but I realized that this could be a good opportunity for me to write something that's kind of young adult. And there's, there's one or two stories in there that are like that. There's one in there that's a full blown horror slash thriller um, complete with gore and, Mm -hmm. and all the things that I've never really written before. I'm a big fan of dialogue. Death dresses poorly is very dialogue heavy. And I'm a big fan of the, the dialogue specifically of Quentin Tarantino movies and, and, and the, the like the the back and forth of the bar scene and inglorious bastards and that kind of thing right like mm. building that tension with just words and very little else so there is a what i call a very tarantino-esque story near the end of this it, it, it gave me a chance to try different genres and see how i liked writing in them without fully committing to them with only going for I mean, I say it's a short story collection, but some of these push kind of, uh, I guess we're going to say novelette length. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they're not super, super short, but I, I was able to, to get a little bit deeper than just dipping my toe into them and see how I enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot about the process while I was doing it. Like in, you have to have a completely different mindset when you're writing about two young kids off an adventure than you, than you do when you have, um, a group of professional hunters who are suddenly the hunted and terrible things are happening. And it, 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 it was interesting to kind of wear all those different hats. Yeah. Did you find any of those genres that you particularly enjoyed and that you would want to delve deeper into? Uh, a question I've had a couple of times and I hesitate to say no. I, I really like the genres that I write in and I respect the people who write in them. And I think that I could probably dabble in some of these and more short stories in the future. Mm-hmm. But for the most, no, I, I enjoy how I write and what I write in. And I like sticking with that. If I have a story to tell that's going to extend beyond 45,000 words, I'm, I'm going to stick with something that I know. So it, it was a ton of fun. I might do it for anthologies and collections in the future for short stories, but I can't see me writing anything as grandiose as what I've already done. Mm. Yeah. Um, what kinds of other fiction have inspired you? Well, you mentioned Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. <laughs> well, uh, well, I mentioned Lord of the Rings, but I still have never read Tolkien in any way, shape or form. Okay. So I'll admit to that. And um, listeners can can berate me as they see fit. I, I understand and I open myself up to it. A lot of my inspiration came from the things that I was watching and and consuming kind of when I was a teenager. I, mm. I, I like to think that I was a rather creative one. Uh, I, I, and so I was inspired by a lot of these things. And admittedly, and you can see it in a lot of my writing, a ton of it comes from a lot of the anime and what was coming out of Japan in the 1990s and even in the 1980s because by the time I realized what was happening there in the 90s I was like oh well there's been like decades of this quality stuff (laughs) yeah Uh, they were writing stories that were so much more mature even and and they were were making them cartoons and Mm. once my mind had gotten past well cartoons are for kids and I started to really see these stories I'm a big proponent of I'm not a fan of good books. I'm a fan of good stories. The medium is not important. The medium wasn't important. I didn't care that it was a cartoon. If you're watching something like Akira or Grave of the Fireflies or anything coming out from Studio Ghibli and and Hayao Miyazaki, there is so much art and heart and perfection that goes into these stories. And 
some of them can be schlocky and cheesy and and ap appeal to certain bases but for the most part they were so much different than what i was already seeing and that's where a lot of my writing kind of started to go they started to take some of those some of those bends there's not always a happy ending characters are very rarely black and white they're often a million shades of gray and, and that's really what i've taken forward from what i was really getting into at that time mm. yeah i was um a really big um well really big <laughs> compared to some of my peers i was really into anime when i was a teenager and to this day one of my favorite films is ghost in the shell i think it is phenomenal as a story it, it is i was a fan of the graphic novel and the way that it was translated was i think nearly perfect for the for the movie when it came out and uh, it's one that you can still go back to it is pretty yeah. timeless yeah definitely obviously the um the name of your your world the reusion is japanese in influence it is <laughs> um, it is do you like do you delve into languages at all like is that have you, do you have a made up language for your world or anything like that i don't i tend to try and make it a little bit more accessible than that the farthest i will usually go is one of the main characters of Catching Hell is a large and imposing Scottish Phoenix man <laughs> by the name of Nixon Ash. So trying to write a Scottish brogue has been a lot of fun and I like <laughs> always coming back to it and he's always kind of the standout character to me from that story. But that's about as far into different languages as I go as there's there's reading a lot of train spotting that trying to figure out exactly how to write that in the first place while, yeah. while also still making it accessible and uh, uh again listeners can lampoon me as much as they possibly want there's maybe a little bit of stereotype in there when it comes to the good scottish people a little mm. bit but understandable <laughs> it, it is uh, i'd like to think that my great-grandfather would understand mm -hmm. you have scottish heritage then yeah, yeah. Uh, my great grandfather, on it's like my uh, paternal great grandfather, he came over from Edinburgh. He was one of the home children that was brought over, uh, kind of uh, given up by his mm -hmm. parents and 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 sent to Canada uh, at a very young age. I believe he came over when he was about eleven or twelve, and was settled on the farms of southern Ontario, which is where he raised his family. Mm -hmm. So um, I was listening to uh, another interview that you gave to just do a little bit of research on you. And you said that you don't set writing goals. No. And I, no. I just, I, <laughs> I, you may not know this. I literally wrote a book on goal setting. And so I'm mm -hmm. just, I'm intrigued. So I was wondering if you were going to go this way. <laughs> I was wondering, I was I almost wondered if this is why you wanted to talk to me in the first place. And we've just all kind of been preambling up until this point. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't set writing goals. It's true. And uh, more to your point, I rally against them personally. Personally. Admittedly, it's a personal choice. It is something that everybody has to find what works for them and what doesn't. Mm. However, in the people that I've spoken with, I make sure it, when the topic comes around to this, and I'll say it now, that I recognize that it's a personal choice. However, I personally do not see the value in them. When you are trying to create something creative and magic and imaginative, I've, I personally have found for myself that allowing the words to come as they come, when they come, and rushing nothing has been far more productive and has been it's been much more comfortable for me if I had a writing goal of some kind where it's like well I've got to I have to write a thousand words a day or I have to write five thousand words a day or I have to write 500 words a day or I got to write something a day I'm I, I'm instantly like I, I that's when I really start to feel the pressure on myself and I don't think that these kinds of things should be pressured I think that they're the kind of things that should come organically People could read my stories and say, well, this probably could have used more work here or there or whatever, but uh, I understand that. But I hope that you enjoy my stories. I want to get my stories into your hand. I wrote them for me. I wrote them because I wanted to get these stories out into the world and I wanted to do it in the best possible way and the most comfortable way that I could. And that way is 
no writing goals whatsoever. Just let the words flow. And sometimes that can be a quarter of a million words in a, when I wrote Catching Hell, it's a quarter of a million words in a year. And then it was four years of editing and bouncing back and forth and working with it. And Death Dresses Poorly was 47,000 words in six weeks. And that was beginning to end. Mm -hmm. So I have seen the different sides of how an inspired writer can write. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud of what it is I've put out there. So that's mm -hmm. why I say that. Yeah, no, that's, I, I completely see where you're coming from. Um, and I think there is so much, um, so much value in that, um, not having pressure on yourself. I definitely agree with that completely. Um, so, but do you think it's easier for you to take that stance because you're, you have, you know, a full-time job, this is not something you are trying to make a big career from? 100% yes. <laughs> I, I come at it from a point that is that is biased. And, and I admit that. And I'm glad that you touched on it, because it's something that I'll usually bring up in the conversation as well. I, I, I come from a privileged point of view when it, when it comes to this, because I did come at it as somebody who was older, as somebody who'd seen some of the world and who'd lived a little bit. But that said, I have seen also the stresses that a 21 year old university student has put themselves under because they are looking to write that next great novel that's going to sell a million and they're they're sitting there agonizing over the bits and pieces of it and some people need that kind of self-torture that self-flagellation just to make themselves right and th that's fine as someone who prides himself on writing characters that are not black and white i cannot pigeonhole people and writers either as being well you're either this or you're not there is that million shades of gray we all are but if somebody was to ask me for my advice and say well how do you do this i'm not going to tell them well you can kind of find what works best for you or what i'm going to say start by not starting start by not setting a writing goal and if that does not work for you and you feel as though you need that pressure you got to be underneath that gun then add them slowly. Do not immediately start off by jumping into NaNoWriMo and just beating yourself up because you didn't make it and you didn't set you didn't get to your total. Because maybe what you wrote is fantastic, but now is your heart really going to be in that? Mm. Like if, if you didn't make it to that goal, like you, you know, it, it 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 risks tarnishing something that could be great but you don't know it mm. so starts if, if you feel as though you have to do it if you got to be under that pressure cooker then go for it but coming from a a, a a place of privilege when it comes to writing in that i've i was able to take the path that i did and and at the point in my life that i did i agree it's mm. it's my opinion and mm. at the end of the day it's not worth very much because everybody's got one <laughs> I think that makes every opinion priceless, not worthless. <laughs> every opinion is unique. They are unique, unique, and so are snowflakes, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you want three feet of them on your deck. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, <laughs> so, um, do you think you could ever see yourself going full-time as a writer or is it definitely something you want to keep as a side project? I uh, I always say that I want to keep it as a side project. I don't want to do this full-time and that's why I kind of lean into this anti-author persona. It's not that I don't want to be an author. It's that for the majority of the people that I talk to in this industry, it's something that they're striving to do full-time and I don't want to do it full-time. I recognize that my opinions could change as time goes on. And I do also say, hey, every once in a while, it would be nice if I just didn't have to go to work today and work on this writing project that I've got. That would be great. But I like my job. I like the people who are at my job. I find my job fulfilling. And I've always tried to find those jobs that inspire me to do better and to, and to work with good teams. And when I'm older and I'm retired, I don't want to be sitting at some 
gorgeous mahogany desk with a vintage typewriter and like it's it's just not who i am if i've got the time to be doing that i've got the time to be doing a million other things that i have been probably putting off in my life until i have that kind of opportunity at this point i know what my writing process is like and i'm comfortable with the speed of it i know some people who can churn out three or four books a year and and good for them i am not that person i don't really want to be that person i i like to focus on what it is that i've got and i i like I said, it, my opinion could change, but I am very comfortable with the speed and the success that I have had so far in the writing world. And I don't really want to change that. Mm-hmm. And when the time comes and my my kids fly the coop and my wife and I are just kind of sitting there twiddling our thumbs, I'll travel places or I'll go fishing or I'll just go for a nice drive. I, I, I can't see me being like, well, I'm going to go upstairs and sit down and write for three hours. I've it, I do not see that right now. Okay. So you strike me as quite a sort of multi-passionate person. You have lots of things in your life that you love doing. And how do you um, keep everything like separate? You, you seem to have your writing is very separate from everything else. And how does that work? How do <laughs> I think a lot of it is the structure that... I make sure I give myself. I can't just be kind of loosey-goosey when it comes to something. And and honestly, having kids has really helped with that because especially one of my kids in particular is is very active. There's always, I mean, when there's not a pandemic going on, there's (laughs) always something that he's he's doing. He plays baseball in the summer. He plays hockey in the winter. He's got to be active. He's a lot like me when I was younger in that way. And so I get home from work and I'm on his schedule uh, or uh, my other son is is incredibly creative and inventive and he is doing things that I want to help with. He's building a card bo- cardboard box fort in the basement or needs my help with some electrical wiring problem that he's he's doing up in his room or something. I'm, uh, so I'm on their time. Mm. And like I said, I, I write when I'm at work almost exclusively. Mm. And so I get my one hour of lunch and however fast I can eat, and then I get my 45 to 50 minutes of writing. So I have that structure. And it's the same with work. I'm, I'm someone who, for better or worse, when, when that clock runs out at the end of the day, I sh- shut it down. And I'm not, that's the end of my work day. And I'm moving on to my home life right now. I'm not somebody who's going to keep checking my work phone or my work email when I get home. I'm on their time. So I think a lot of it is just I have to respect my family's time and I have to respect my work's time. And I will do that as and when I have to. And I think that that's the structure that's really helped me kind of balance all of these things at once. And mm-hmm. And then I just kind of add things. The The pandemic has been horrible for my writing, but man, I've picked up a whole lot of extra little fun side skills that I never thought I was going to have. Uh, <laughs> I, I can pick locks now, you know, that kind of thing that I decided <laughs> to do. I, I'm, I'm doing this interview on a, on a podcasting microphone set that I got because I wanted to learn how to record my audio book because uh, I didn't have any audio books out there. I wanted to do it myself, like all these other things that I'm passionate about learning just as much as I am passionate about writing. Yeah. So talk to me about the audiobook then. So are you recording that now? Is that something that's in process? It is in the process. The recording itself is done. So this is for Death Dresses Poorly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I figured I would start with my shortest novel first. I didn't want to just launch into 250,000 words of of the Ryujin world that would take me forever and I'd have no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And and again, working with Fluky Fiction, who's been fantastic with being patient with me, but also helping me out like, yeah, this works and this doesn't. And they're listening to things and making sure everything sounds good before we get it out there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, all the recordings done. I think I have two chapters in the epilogue left when it comes to cutting it and mastering it and getting it up to the ACX, the audible standard mm-hmm. and then it should be out there very soon um hopefully not very long i know that they have a little bit of a backlog getting those kinds of things out right now but my mm-hmm. expectation is that it will be out in the next month wow so why did you decide to narrate it yourself rather than hiring a narrator this book in particular well actually no i'm going to dial it back my first answer to that is i'm cheap <laughs> and I 
didn't want to pay somebody else because they, it's exorbitant amount of money sometimes, even if you get somebody who's fresh and up and coming. But the, the far more professional answer to that is that with Death Dresses Poorly, I've always said that the two main characters of that story, Ethan and Death, are very much just versions of me. It's like me when I was 20 and Death is kind of me when I'm, what I see, foresee myself being when I'm like 50, 55 years old. So there's there's a personal element to it for me that I wanted to inhabit those characters. And I thought that it would be a ton of fun. And I, I, I was a drama geek in, in high school and I had a little bit of knowledge of that world when it comes to audible performing. So I wanted to give it a shot. And with my publisher's blessing and support, I've been able to, and it has been so much fun. And it's also been like kind of heartbreaking. It's not a, it's not a super, like it's a comedy, but it's a, it's a dark comedy. It's a tragic comedy at some points. And I, I laugh at my own jokes that I wrote and I cry when I know something sad is about to happen. Mm. Yeah. What's your recording setup then? Do you have like, do you have to put a blanket over your head or anything to muffle the noise? No, uh, I, I I went with the uh, semi-professional standing in my walk-in closet setup. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I we have a very tight, it's not a very big closet, but it, it's enough for me to stand in. And then I have my computer in there and the microphone that I'm speaking into right now. And because there's clothes on both sides, that muffles things and then on the one exposed wall I just put up some sound deadening pads just to kind of help me out and uh, so far it sounds fantastic but yeah I'm I go in there but it's also a closet that's attached to the outside of the house so every once in a while I have to stop because there's a motorcycle driving by (laughs) or something I can deaden some of the sound or the dogs barking out in the yard or something like that yeah For the most part, it's been it's been really successful. I haven't come across anything that's just like, oh god, that's that's just horrible. We're mm-hmm. in this town. We're famous for jacked up, really loud trucks. So <laughs> I'm I'm used to those driving by. I just kind of go with one one ear in and one ear out of my earphones and just wait for it to pass. Okay, now I can continue. I'll I'll I'll, I'll cut that. I'll edit that in post. Yeah. And you have? Do you have someone else doing the mastering for you, or are you doing that as well? I'm doing that as well. I spent a lot of time watching untold number of YouTube videos on how to do it, and and uh, talking to friends of mine in the industry as well about what they recommend and what they don't, and everything from the cutting to the audio levels and the and the the floor and the maximums and all of that. I, it's not going to be professional. It's probably going to sound a little jagged, but I personally am happy and proud of what it is that I've put out there. And my publisher I, is a brutally honest person. Uh, and she would be like, this doesn't work. No, let's do something else or let's hire somebody else or whatever. But so far, none of that. Mm. And I mean, the um, like you mentioned about ACX's, you know, a- approval, their screening system is pretty robust. So, you know, yeah. Uh, there's like for the i use uh, audacity and there's plugins for that that they'll let you know like yeah uh, this is too high this is too low this is going to get a pass so at, mm. that's not the end all be all but it at least tells me if i'm on the right path yeah so you mentioned your publisher is this are you doing this independently but with the sort of um assistance or is it is it being published by them I asked for them to publish it for me because I am happy to put this work in. I'm just using this as a learning experience. Mm -hmm. If I was to do something again, I would probably do between conversations because again, there's a a lot of stories in there that I would love the opportunity to inhabit, including the aforementioned Scottish Phoenix who makes an appearance. (laughs) Uh, I can only imagine how badly I would butcher that, but uh they were super great about it um, because I had the conversation. I'm like, I, I want this to come out through you guys. I want this to be a partnership that we were going through together. And they're like, you know, it's not in your contract. You don't have to do that. We can, 
we can help you out with it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be quote unquote released by us. And I was like, no, I want it to be released by you guys. You, you've supported me and I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's too much to take your cut on this through your support. I, I'm using it as a learning tool and you can be as brutally honest about it as you want. And I think you guys need to have a little bit of skin in this game as well. So I, 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 forcefully gave it to them they were they were willing to just let me do my own thing but i, I wasn't super comfortable with that I, I really think that they should be a part of this mm. so did you need to renegotiate your contract then to find terms for that it's coming <laughs> we're, well we're, we're still working on that with uh with catching hell and okay. and that coming out so it's all being done at the same time. So short answer, yes, but it's not done yet. And mm. I trust them. They're not going to just take the money and run. So mm. we're re- it's okay. Yeah. And I suppose that's a really big benefit of working with a small publisher because with a big one, you'd have no say and no ability to negotiate like that. I, I would never be even be able to do this if I was to go to a larger publisher and say, I really want to do this audiobook myself. I'm going to record it in my closet. <laughs> they would laugh and yeah. then they would hire somebody and mm. and i mean fair enough but this is a much more intimate thing for me and i'm enjoying it and whether it's a colossal failure or monumental success or one of the millions of places in between that's fine because mm. I, I i've done it all myself so i, I i'm not going to be able to find any complaint if i've had a good time and i'm proud of the work which i am and i am then I've got nothing to complain about. Yeah. Okay, so um, we ask all of our guests on The Great Writer to share this question. Mark Watson, why do you write? I write to get the stories from my head into your hands by any means necessary. End of. <laughs> I like that. Nice and succinct. Okay, we have come to the rapid fire section of the interview. Are you ready? Hang on, let me, quick drink. <laughs> All right, lemon water is consumed. Let's do let's I now do. realize that my first question is, is possibly not going to be very a very interesting one, but we will proceed anyway. So question one, what's the weirdest place you've written? An empty cubicle. I'm just going to say an empty cubicle up on one of the floors in my office. A word that makes you cringe. Doesn't exist. Not that I can think of. I love them all. Uh, uh, Fairly unshakable. Writing goals is two words, right? So (laughs) a single word, there isn't one, but ask me if there's two. (laughs) No. Favorite season? Autumn. Absolutely 100% fall. I was born in the fall. I love the fall. Favorite genre to read? Epic fantasy. More than anything else, I've read epic fantasy. Best writing snack? Water. I don't like anything else getting on my keyboard. (laughs) I'll always have a thing of water to drink, but you'll never see me with like fingers covered in Cheeto dust. (laughs) Your favorite place to visit? The Maritimes. I'm going to say the Maritimes. I'm going to eliminate anything that's just like with my family or out in Toronto or something like that. I, I've, I've been out to the Maritimes of Canada a few times and I absolutely love it. Okay. What do you listen to, if anything, while you write? While I write? Nothing. <laughs> while I edit, usually trip hop, usually British trip hop from the 1990s. Hmm, it's different. Beach or mountains? Mountains. I can see them from my house. I, there's <laughs> I know, a reason I, sh- I live here. <laughs> I should never ask a Canadian that question. <laughs> well, it depends. If you're from the Maritimes or or from or from Toronto or something, it, yeah, uh, you know, you should ask somebody from Vancouver because they've got the beach on one side and the mountains on the other. It'd be yeah, interesting yeah. to see what they say. <laughs> one where the movie was better than the book. High fidelity. I love the book and I love the movie, but. And taking it out of the the British context, I think, made it 
a lot more entertaining for me personally. Saying that to a British person, I apologize. <laughs> but, it's fine. I don't take it personally, unlike but, the goal yeah. setting thing. But anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's okay. And, and your favorite form, print, ebook, or audiobook? I'm going to say print. I have no problem with ebook, and I think I've only listened to like two audiobooks in my entire life, and that was like 10 years ago, and they, <laughs> they were terrible. So, uh, but I, I'm going to, I, no, I'm going to say it's a split between print and ebook. As long as you're sitting there reading something, I don't really think how you do it matters. Okay. That's 10 questions. Excellent. So, thank you very much. Just finally, where can our listeners find out more about you and your books? You can find me at my website at markwatson.ca. That's M-A-R-C-W-A-T-S-O-N.ca. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash markwrotabook, all one word. Uh, again, M-A-R-C. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at at Wright Watson. That's W-R-I-T-E-W-A-T-S-O-N. And... I look after all of my social media personally. I look after my website personally. If anybody ever has any questions or just wants to touch base, I love interacting with listeners and readers and consumers of the media of all kind. I would love to get in touch with you. Lovely. I will put all those links in our show notes. So thank you once again, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. And it has been as well on my end. Thank you very much for this opportunity. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Great Writers Share podcast. Tune in next week when Dan will be talking with Susie Vidori. Until next time.